speech today, kind of kick, kicking the, the new year off, and I want to, you know, just begin by wishing you all a happy new year, praying God's richest blessing in your life, you know, as we think about God and, and all that he's done for us, you know, he's not done. Uh, he saved us, he saved us from, uh, from his wrath, from eternity, of separation from him. Uh, the Bible says that uh, greater love has no man than this, uh, you know, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. We're going to talk about that a little more in just a moment. But uh, we want to, uh, I wanted to uh, just begin this new year um, with uh, the LIGHT acronym. And if I could, uh, who's, uh, Jacob, is that you there in the sound booth? Um, if you would please... Uh, just go to uh, that. Uh, there you go. We're gonna. You guys see this every Sunday on the screen, and uh, so we're gonna take five weeks and we're gonna break down those five points. That's who we are. That's who we are as a church. They're not just uh, vain and empty words, but it's really who we are: loving God, investing our time and talents and our treasure, going to the lost and the hurting honoring one another, and teaching and training. And so, you know, uh, I, I just want, we're going to take the first one this morning and talk about loving God and man, and what does that look like? What does that mean? I know we can say it, we can all say that we love God, but, you know, how do we, how do we express that? How do we know what that looks like? How do we know if what we're doing is pleasing to Him? I want to begin with uh, a scripture that's very, probably one of the uh, most famous uh, scriptures recorded out of the book of Deuteronomy. It's in chapter 6, verse 4. And um, this is Moses writing, and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And then you may remember this uh, in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked a question, and it says in verse 34, when the Pharisees had heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, those were two different religious groups, the Sadducees did not believe in angels or spirits, they didn't believe in a resurrection, uh, they didn't believe in life after death. Uh, but So he had been talking to them about life after dead, death and, and God not being the God of the dead, but God of the living and he spoke about how he was the God and still the God, then and now, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so when the Pharisees had heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they were gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, that's a lawyer, kind of a, the studying, not as we would think of lawyers today, not like a trial attorney or a criminal attorney, but a lawyer, one who studied the Word of God. It says, a lawyer uh, asked him a question, and he said... Uh, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? I believe that there's over, I don't know the exact number, maybe one of you might. I think there's 613, is that right? 600, B's nodding her head, so I got the seal of approval there. Uh, 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And so this lawyer is saying, out of all of those 613, which one is the greatest? And Jesus responded with the scripture that we just read from Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord, and notice how it's spelled there, 
in all capital letters. We're going to come back to that in a, in a moment. But I want you to notice as we read the scriptures about loving the Lord, that many times it shows up in all capital letters. And Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your, whole, your soul and your, your mind or your strength, this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so what he says, that if you keep, if you keep these two commandments right here, that in essence you're, able to, you're keeping all of the other 600 and, and it would be 11, I guess, at that point. Um, so he says that to, um, if you're able to keep these, if you're, if you're able to do these two things, and when we read this, it looks like these two commandments, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, it, it seems like they're connected, but they're not really. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength comes from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6, and uh, loving your neighbor as yourself comes out of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, uh, verse 18, and, uh, and but when I, when I first heard it, I thought, well, Jesus is quoting one single passage of Scripture, but he's actually quoting two, one from Deuteronomy and one from Leviticus. And then when we look, you know, as we think about this, what does it mean? How do we break this down? What does it look like when we love the Lord our God? Uh, he goes on to say, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and you shall have no other gods for me. He begins to break down the Ten Commandments. And so I want to kind of go through those. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out. Notice how Lord is spelled there, all capital letters. The Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. The second one is, you shall not make for yourself any carved or graven images. The third one is that you shall not bow down or serve them. Excuse me, the, that's still part of the second one. You shall not bow down and serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So you shall have no other gods before me. And then the third one is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, you know, if you've been around the block a few times like I have, you know, you've heard people say things that just were grieving to your spirit. And one of the things that, you know, that is grievous to my spirit even today is when I hear someone take the name of the Lord, asking God to damn something or someone. And so, I mean, it grieves me to hear that. And, but you never, the Bible says that God has given Jesus, now listen to this, uh, out of all the great religious leaders that you know or that you can think of right now, the Bible says that God has given Jesus a name greater than, than anyone that's ever been before him or anyone that will come after him. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. All of these other religious figures that you can think of that are coming into your mind, their knee someday will bow and, and give honor to God and, and acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord and he only is Lord. Amen? And so he says the fourth one is to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Uh, and you're not supposed to work in that day. So those are the, out of the Ten Commandments, these first four deal in our relationship, man's relationship to God. The next six that follow are how we deal with one another. And when Jesus said that you shall love your neighbor as yourself, 
Um, and we think about this, and which to honor your father and your mother, that's the fifth commandment, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. This is called the first commandment with promise. When you do honor your mother and your father, it says that your days will be long. God will add to your days, length of days and long life. The, uh, the next commandment is you shall not murder. The next is you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness or lie against your neighbor. And you shall not, finally coming to the last one, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his servants, his male servants, female servants, his ox, his donkey, anything that your neighbor has. Um, there's a great story in, in the Old Testament about a wicked king named Ahab, and his wife was named Jezebel. Ahab looked across the land, and he saw that there was a man by the name of, uh, I believe it was Naaman, and Naaman had a beautiful vineyard. He had a beautiful garden, and, and Ahab said, I want it. I, I want it. And his wife, you know, I mean, just, it's like, you know, his wife is like, you're the king. Just go get it. Just take it. You know, it's yours. You're the king. And so uh, she gathered together some men that told lies, and the bottom line is that Naaman was, uh, in the, ended up being put to death so that King Ahab could have his garden. And that's what lusting or, or longing for, uh, you know, not, not coveting. And he was coveting. He wanted it to, even to the point of death. Uh, David did the same thing with Uriah's wife. He looks out and sees this beautiful woman, and he says, I'll do anything. In his heart, he says, I'll do anything it takes to get her. He goes and gets her, has uh, an, a, a sexual affair with her, commits adultery with her, then has her husband killed, and then tells a, a number of lies to cover it up. He, he coveted his neighbor's wife. That's what that looks like. Uh, Martin Luther said about the book of Deuteronomy, he says it's an exposition of the Ten Commandments. Uh, the first four commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. Uh, that's from chapter 6 to 18. And then from chapter 18 to 26, it's an application of how to keep the, the last six commandments. Uh, what does it mean to love your neighbor? It deals with the last, uh, this next passage of Scripture, or the, these uh, next chapters of Deuteronomy 18 to 26, deal with marriage and divorce or violation of those. Uh, scales and weights and measures, that, things that you would use in the marketplace. And then the last passage, starting at uh, verse uh, chapter 27 of Deuteronomy, it speaks about God blessing his people for keeping and being obedient to the word of God and to his commandments, and then followed by the curses of God for those that are disobedient and not keeping the commandments. So let's just look at this to try to take it apart. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's very much like Jesus' prayer when he says, Our Father, our Father, not your Father, not my Father, but our Father. And so we, we need to, as we break this down, recognize who Jesus is talking to or who God is talking to at this point. And he says, Hear. And that doesn't mean just hear with your ears, but it means to listen to uh, be obedient to these words that, you're about to, that are about to be spoken to you. Hear or listen. Take hold of, O Israel. And so this is the group, this is the people group that God is talking to. This is who he's identifying as a group of people that he wants to hear this word. It's not the enemies of God that God is trying to get to love him. It is the, 
the friends of God, the people of God, the chosen people, those that have been sanctified, those that have been set free, free, those that have been redeemed. It's this group of people that he's saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And as I said, the commandment is for and to God's people. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God, notice how Lord is spelled again. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above the people on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the people. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your father Abraham and your forefathers. So God chose them. God, God called them and chose them, number one, because he loved them, not because they were a large group, but because they were a small group. He, he loves them and he chose them because he loved them and wanted to keep a commandment that he, or a covenant that he had given to Abraham. In John chapter 15, I just want us to, to kind of identify with that. So we're thinking, well, God chose the children of Israel, you know, but what about us? We're not, are we part of that group? I mean, God choose us or not? Well, we don't have to go very far in the New Testament. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And as we read those words, you might recall that when Jesus began his ministry, he began to go, went down to the seaside, and he called uh, Peter and uh, James and John and Matthew, the tax collector. He just walked from city to city on his way as he was ministering. He was calling people, calling men out to be his disciples. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, we talk about calling out and, and, and redeeming. You know, this theme is over and over again in, in the book of Deuteronomy. It says, uh, Or has, the, has God ever uh, tried to deliver a nation from the middle of another nation? See, we had the nation of Israel, which was of about 2 million people. It said that when they left, there were about 600 men. Men were counted uh, up to the age of 20. But they didn't count women and children. So if you take the 600,000, you add, you know, uh, women and children, there could have been as many as 2 million people, maybe more, that came out by the strong hand of God. So God delivered the nation of Israel from and out of the nation of Egypt. It says, our God has ever tried to deliver a nation from the middle of another nation accompanied by judgments and signs and wonders. And you go back to all of the plagues of Egypt and, you know, these things are going through your mind. War and strength and power and other ter terrifying things like the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, 12, it says, be careful. Do not forget the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt, the place of slavery. And again... You know, this commandment is to the people of, of God, those that love him, those that have been called by his name. Uh, the enemies of God have been called to do one thing. They've been called to repent and to believe the gospel and to be reconciled with God. That's what the enemies of God are called to do, to repent and to uh, come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and to be reconciled to God. And then once they are reconciled to God, once they belong to God, once they have been purchased and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, then they are called to worship the Lord. And the second part of that commandment is, you shall love the Lord. This is what I was referring to earlier. Notice that it says, uh, all caps, L-O-R-D, 
He says, uh, the Lord, you are to love the Lord. We live in a, in a society today where everything seems to get blended together. And if you're ever talking to someone else that doesn't believe like you, they worship another God, you know, the, the tendency in, in that conversation is that all roads lead to heaven. Uh, you know, or my God is just as good as your God. But what God is saying here, he says that, Hear, O Israel, we know who he's talking, talking to. He said, you shall love the Lord. And this is the divine name of God. When you see it in all capital letters like that, it is the divine name of God. It's the same name that God used when he was talking to Moses at the burning bush, and Moses asked the question, he says, you know, who shall I tell them sent me? They're going to want to know. You're telling me to go back and uh, to speak to Pharaoh and to the children of Israel and tell them that God has sent me to set them free, to work in, in, uh, in securing their freedom. Who shall I say that sent me? What's your name? And God replied to Moses, he said, I am that I am. And that's what this word means right here. This is the divine name of God. I am that I am. And this is the God that you're supposed to love with all of your heart and your mind and your soul. Not just a generic God. Not just any God. Not gods. Don't, you don't, we don't put him in with the gods with a little G in front of them. This is the supreme being. This is the Lord God. Many years ago, we had a ministry come to this church. It was called Sports World Ministry, where many uh, retired athletes uh, come. They were born again, and they wanted to share their testimony. They would go into schools, and we had the privilege of hosting a, a guy by the name of Bill Rowe, who played for the uh, Dallas Cowboys, and he played for the New Orleans Saints, and he played for the Dolphins as well. And, uh, but he had retired. I think he had a, a, a knee injury that caused him to go into early retirement. But he was born-again believer, and he was a member of Sports World Ministry. And what they would do is that they would go into public schools and high schools and junior high schools, and uh, they would just share their story, how they got saved, and what it meant to be saved. And, um, you know, that schools that, you know, this is, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago, but schools where... You know, you had an incredible dropout rate. You had a uh, high suicide rate. You had a high rate of kids that were doing drugs and alcohol, teenage pregnancy, all of these things. And it was, it was a crisis then, and it's a crisis now. Uh, so Bill went. We had we lined up a couple of schools, you know, Dallas Cowboy, former Dallas Cowboy football players coming. And he went to the Santa Fe High, the first school that he went to. And he went in and he began to talk about what God had done for him, how he had set him free from drugs and alcohol and, uh, and all types of sin. And uh, so the principal of that school called the principal of the second school and said, look, you better watch out. I mean, this guy, he's talking about religion. He's talking about Jesus. And, uh, you know, I don't think we can have that. And I don't think you should have him come to the school. And so... Uh, Bill was staying with Nina and I at that time. He stayed with us for about a week, and I was kind of like his chauffeur. I'd drive him around, meet the principals. and So we went to the second school, and the, and the principal met us at the door, and he said, look, there's no way you're going to come in here and talk about Jesus Christ. You know, we just can't let that happen. And he said, listen, and he was very bold. He said, you asked me to come here and talk to your children how to overcome drugs and alcohol, 
how to keep them, you know, from uh, teenage uh, sexual uh, or teenage pregnancies, how to, you know, prevent them from committing suicide. He said, if you want me to do that, I'm going to, I'll do that, but I'm talking about Jesus Christ. He said, I didn't come here to talk to you about a generic God. I didn't come here to talk to you about a little G in God. I came to talk to you about the supreme being, the creator of the universe that can save your soul and save these children that you say that you're concerned about. And the principal said, come on in. So when we talk about, he said, I am the Lord, the capital, all capital letter, Lord. So when we talk about that today, when we talk about, you know, the Lord God, we're talking about the one, the one who made the promise to Abraham, the one who spoke to Moses at the burning bush. He is the one that brought the children of Israel out of bondage. He's the one that spoke to Moses at Sinai. He's the one that gave the law and the covenants to the children of Israel. He's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one on Calvary's cross who God gave His Son to die for our sin. He's the one that God raised from the dead. He's the one that God placed at His right side and said, until His enemies become His footstool. He's the one who one day will open the grave and the dead in Christ will rise first. He is the one that we will stand before and give an account of our, our lives. He is the one who sees us without spot or blemish, and He is the one that saves us from our sins and gives us an inheritance among those that are saved. This is the big God. This is the big God. We're not talking about the little G. This is the big God. So He says, Hear, O Israel, this is the people group. The Lord, we've identified Him as the great I Am. The Lord is one. You know, that... Uh, uh, when they writers initially and Jews today, when they try to write the name of God, another translation for that name is Yahweh, and I think I have that on our overhead. Uh, yeah, if you if you notice the the Jews out of reverence for God, they feel that God's name is so holy that they they took the vowels out of the name, and so that's what it looks like. That's what I am looks like. And if you add the vowels, you see the A and the E, it's pronounced Yahweh. And later on, it be, became pronounced, this is uh, during the, um, around the 1500s, when there was a, a translation, King James Bible came out, uh, the word, that word was replaced with the word Jehovah. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, Number three, it says that you shall love the Lord. And this is where this kind of, you know, we kind of tear this apart. He says you shall love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your strength, uh, with all of your soul and all of your strength. With all of our heart. I mean, we think about those, those words kind of get, you know, can, they can be confusing. And they're so intertwined. And we use them in so, you know, so many different ways. But in, uh, out of our heart means out of our reasoning. You know, the Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, from Proverbs chapter 23. As a man thinks in his heart, what we would think today, I would say, I think with my mind. This is how I think, I think with my mind. But you know what, when, when these issues that you're confronted with on a day-by-day -day basis, you know, it's just like, Lord, what do I do? You're not talking to him from your mind. You're talking to him. You're thinking about this in your heart. Lord, you know, what? I, I, need, I need an answer. I need to hear from you. And I'm communing to God. 
I'm thinking about what I want to say to God, not intellectually, but out of my spirit, out of my, out of my, out of my heart, I, I'm, I'm speaking to God. And then he said that you should love the Lord with all your heart and then all of your soul. That's your mind and your will and your emotions. All the ability of the years that you have, all that God has put in you, you shall love the Lord with all of that. And there are things that you do, that we do in life, that make our love known. And, uh, and people get it, that it's obvious, it's obvious that, uh, you know, when we love our family, people can just look at us and just see that, you know, you love your family. There are things that you do that's obvious that you love your work, that you're passionate about your work. There are things that we do, and this is probably one of those hard-hitting ones, uh, that show how passionate we are about sport. Uh, you know, if you go to your husband's closet and you open it up and, it, and it's full of, uh, you know, fishing rods or firearms or boats in the garage or something, you're passionate about what you do. Uh, are the things that we wear, women, you know, jewelry and things like that, these are things that, that we love. There's nothing wrong with those things. But there is a place for those things, and they are never to exceed or to, to be exalted above God himself. So, uh, again, when we talk about loving God with all of our soul, listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 103. And you could just hear this. It just kind of radiates. I, I, I just believe that if you were there that day, it might have been like the psalmist. This is how I envisioned it. Sitting on the, on the mountaintop and, and just observing all the great things that God has done in his life. I don't, have, you, have you ever been in a place like that? It's just like all, all of a sudden, you know, it's just like you just stop. Life just stops, and you just want to reflect on the great things that God has done in your life. You've been there? Anybody ever been there? Yeah. So, so the psalmist, he's up there, and all of a sudden, I think he's just looking at his life and all the good things that God has done for him and how God has blessed him, and he just shouts out, Bless the Lord, O my soul! And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of my iniquities, and who heals all of my diseases, and who redeems my life from destruction. I mean, you can just see it. I mean, he is passionate about it. I mean, he just wants to shout it from the mountaintop. Bless the Lord. Praise God for all of the things that he's done for me and for, for you as well. And then the third one is to love the Lord your God with all of your strength. And that word translates with all of your substance, all of your possession, all that he is giving you. Love the Lord your God with those things that God has given you. A good example of that is uh, found in Matthew when Jesus is confronted about a man and the story goes like this. Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And so he, uh, so he said to him, why, this is the, Jesus said to this man, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. But if you want to enter into a life, into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you should not murder, the ones that we just spoke about. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, now, I don't know if you picked up on this, but remember when we read the Ten Commandments, we said that the second grouping, the second six of those commandments had to deal with man's relationship with man. 
And Jesus quotes all of those six except for one. And it was the last one that he didn't quote. And that one was not to covet. Not to covet after gold or silver. The writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, says that those that love silver will never be content with silver. Those that love gold will never have enough gold. Uh, and, and so this man had a great deal of possessions. And Jesus says to him, he mentions them all except for the last one. He says again, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all of these things I have done from my youth, what do I still lack? There was something in his life that was not satisfying him. That, you know, when you, when you take God out of the first place in your life, you're always going to have this, this kind of a disquieted spirit. You're not going to have peace in your spirit because there's something in you that's crying out to get back to God. And the things of this world, remember that song, uh, you know, that if I had all that the world, all, all that the world has, uh, you know, it would be a gift far too small to give back to Jesus for what he's done in our, in our lives. And so he asked the question, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor. So now he's really hitting uh, the heart of the matter. Go sell what you have. That was what he was talking about. Jesus didn't, didn't quote that you shall not covet. He's just letting this man kind of figure, out, figure it out in his mind. Because all that he had and all that he owned was his God. And God, the Lord God, the great I Am, was on the back burner. His life was about possessions. So Jesus tells him to go sell what he has and give to the poor. And he says, you will have treasure in heaven. He says, come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. You know, the way that uh, we use our possessions and our substance is a reflection on how we love. You know, in a few months, we're coming up on that dreaded day. I don't think it's any coincidence that the sinking of the Titanic and tax day are both on April the 15th. <laughs> Terrible day. But uh, you're going to be filling out a tax form. And on that tax form, there's going to be two questions. There'll be a lot of questions that are asked. But there's going to be two questions that are asked you. What did you make? And what percentage of that did you give back to God? And then you have to ask yourself, was that enough? Was that enough based on what the Lord has done for me? You know, there are times in our life when we think about this scripture, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your mind and your strength, or all your heart, your soul, and your strength. I don't know if any of you know, great preacher, I think he's passed on now, R.C. Sproul, when he was thinking about that scripture, 
And I'm, this is a quote that I have from him. He says, when it says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your strength, he says, I have not done that, not even for five minutes. And he goes on to say, and that's why I need a Savior. I don't need just a Savior 45 years ago when I got saved. I need a Savior today to keep me because I do, I don't. I've, I've said this before. I, I don't, I don't think I do. I don't know if any of us really loves the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. You know, Jesus asked this question to Peter in John chapter 21 after the resurrection and this is one of those times that Jesus appears to Peter and to the twelve. And it says that when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, I want you to just, for if you can, I want you to imagine you standing right next to Peter, right side by side to Peter. And Jesus looking at Peter and saying, Simon, Son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? I want you to just imagine his eyes going from Peter to you. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And he asked him again, and Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, Feed my sheep. And again, he says to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Just imagine standing there next to Peter and him saying, Peter or Danny or Michael or Kevin or Tommy, do you love me more than these? Or Ron, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, I love you. He says, tend my sheep. And he said a third time, he's looking at him right in the eyes, and you're standing right next to him. And he's saying, Simon, and fill in the blank, your name, do you love me? Do you love me? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Many years ago, there was a song written by Keith Green. And as I came across these verses today, I thought about the ebb and flow of our, our lives, our Christian walk. You know, sometimes we're on the mountaintop, other days we're in the valley. But this verse reads like this, O oh Lord, Please light the fire that once burned bright and clear. Burn. Replace the lamp of my first love that burns with holy fear. See, our hearts can grow cold, and that's why Jesus, in writing in the, to the churches in the book of Revelation, he wrote to the one church, and he says, Oh, I see you. I, I, you're doing a lot of work. You're doing all types of work. You're doing good things. But somehow you've left me behind. 
And it's just like, you, don't, you can do the work without me. It's, it's the way that you're living your life. It's not what you're saying. You're not verbalizing it. But your actions are saying, I can do this without you, Jesus. I can just go through the motions. I can come to church on Sunday. I can sing songs. I can raise my hand. I can carry a Bible, carry a real, really big one, make myself look really religious. You know, we can do all of these outward things, but Jesus said, you need to return to your first love. And he's saying, Lord, please light the fire. I remember those days, is what he's saying, that I was on fire for you. Please light the fire that once, a long time ago, burned bright and clear. Replace the lamp of my first love that burns with holy fear. There was a story about two men that had met an Englishman who was very reserved, conservative, and a man from India. The man from India was on fire for God. Everywhere he went, he talked about Jesus, talked about God. And the other man uh, said, you know, why are you like that? Sometimes you're even embarrassing. You know, why, why do you do that? And because he was so reserved. He wasn't very expressive in his love for Jesus. The man from India said, I think I can show you better than I can tell you. He says, follow me. They walked out into the woods, and the Indian, the man from India, made a circle about two feet wide and uh, out of leaves and twigs and branches and moss, complete circle, and then he lit it on fire. And he took from what he had found on the ground a worm and put the worm in the center of the circle. And the fire began to burn hotter and hotter and began to enclose on the worm. The worm tried to go one direction, it was hot. Tried to go another direction, it was hot. And pretty soon the worm gives up and just kind of encircles itself in the center of the circle. And the man from India reached down and picked up the worm and placed the worm next to his heart. And he told the Englishman, he said, I was that worm. And God reached through the flames of fire of eternity and saved my soul. How can I not praise him? How can I not worship him? How can I not tell others about the great thing that God has done in my life? He's done the same thing in your life. So that brings us to the end. No, it doesn't. Just testing you. So I want that, to, that's dealing with our love for God. I'll go through this quickly. You guys have that video queued up? You got it ready to go? Okay. Um, so he says, we've talked about loving the Lord our God. And then he said the second commandment, as we said from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. The second commandment is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. And, and we talked about, you know, we're going to talk about just what does that look like? What does it look like for us to love our neighbor? Well, we know the story from Jesus and the good, uh, the good Samaritan, how the Samaritan found the man uh, bloody and beaten on the Jericho Road, took him to the inn, paid for it, told the innkeeper, if you spend more money, let me know. I'll pay you back when I come back. We look at the life of Jesus, uh, 
What does it look like to love our neighbor? It looks like Jesus standing next to a woman caught in the act of adultery and, you know, a group of men ready to stone her to death and Jesus saying to her, your sins are forgiven. And what does it look like? It looks like when Jesus saw 5,000 people on the side of a hill and he said they looked like, you know, sheep without a shepherd. Uh, it says that he had compassion on them. He asked the disciples, what do you have? We have fish and bread. He took the fish and bread and, and was able to feed 5,000 people. That's what it looks like. That's what loving our neighbor looks like. Uh, in, uh, in John chapter 15, verse 13, it says, Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Uh, some of you may have caught this news story a week or so ago on TV, but if you guys will cut the lights just for a moment. And uh, while they're doing this, if our communion people will go and uh, just kind of gather, start gathering the communion elements. Uh, I want us to watch this video. It's about a minute long. killed this week in Knoxville, Tennessee, in a spasm of violence. As David Begno reports, the teenager died a hero. Zenobia Dobson is preparing to bury her 15-year-old son, Xavion. He was her baby. Police say he was shot dead by gang members in Knoxville, Tennessee, while trying to shield three young girls from gunfire. It was an honor for my son to protect another individual. Xavion's brother, Zach, was there when it happened. I picked him up, and I set him on my arms. I was I shaking him. I, love him. I was shaking him. I was like, I love you. Wake up. I need you. Wake up. Two of the teenage girls who Xavion Dobson shielded from bullets have called the high school football standout a hero. If it wasn't for Xavion, if me or her would have probably been shot. I have a military background. Uh, that, that's the actions of, of, of heroes. David Roush is Knoxville's police chief. He says Xavion was caught in the crossfire of rival gangs. All right, you Roush can cut it there. So you see this young man, 16 years old, that stands between the gunfire and his friends. And that's what Jesus says, uh, no greater love has one than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. We see that it's exactly what that young man did. The Old Testament tells us about, you know, in our giving, this is from the message translation. It says, give freely and spontaneously. Don't have a stingy heart. The way that you handle matters like this triggers, listen to this, the way you're giving, this is talking about your giving, the way that you handle matters like this triggers God you're God's blessing in everything that you do. All your work and ventures, they, they're all, they are always going to be poor and needy people among you. Remember, that's what Jesus said. In Luke chapter 7, when they were pouring the alabaster box, a woman was pouring the alabaster box on Jesus' feet, you know, someone said, this money could have been sold, or this uh, alabaster box could have been sold, and the money given to the poor. And Jesus said, you're always going to have poor with you. That, does that mean we neglect them? Absolutely not. He's telling us here in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15, there are always going to be poor and needy people among you. So I command you, command you always be generous. Open purse and hands. Give to your neighbor in trouble, your poor and hurting neighbor. And then in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, So we must not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap. We will reap if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of faith. I know that many of you 
have been blessed by members of the body of Christ just when you thought that you couldn't endure, you weren't going to make it, somebody just out of the blue stepped up and just came to your rescue. God placed it on someone's heart to either give you food or give you money or even just to call you, comfort you uh, in a time of grief and sorrow, to comfort you in prayer. And, uh, you know, just uh, this is just a, just a thought. You know, if you would and you feel God leading you to do this, I'd like to, for you just to, to write that down. Write your story down. You don't have to put your name on it, and certainly don't put the name of the person that gave you the blessing on it, because I'm sure they want to remain anonymous as well. But we'll, if you do that, we'll read those stories, and we'll select some of them and put them on our website, just acknowledging God and His goodness, what God has done for us. He has done great things. Let's just give him a shout of joy because he has done great things. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord.